0: This message is brought to you by Do Not the longevity research organisation that's on a mission to extend health span for as many people as possible via products that actually work. Start your journey today at Do Not and use code LAMA for a 10% discount. That's L L A M A. Being in woodland or being in places where you can hear the grass moving or being by, I I would even say being by the beach and listening listening to the surf. It just does bring that level of peace and relaxation.
1: Do we live longer if we can access green spaces? And what could we learn about longevity from squishy creatures that we find in the sea? Hello, welcome to the Live Long and Master Ageing podcast. I'm Peter Bowes, And he's Peter Allison. We have known each other since we went to school 50 years ago. And here we are talking again, plotting together how we can get through the next 50 years. Good to see you again, Peter.
0: And it's great to see you as well, Peter.
1: Maybe I'm being over ambitious. That would make us, what, 111 if we live another 50 years. Are you more realistic than perhaps I am?
0: Uh, I I think I'm more focused on having a... On health span. I mean, we've had this conversation before, but I'm more focused on health span rather than lifespan, I think. Um I want to be active as I get older, and I there's a whole bunch of things. I I've just recently taken semi-retirement, and moving into retirement is a little bit like being at school and suddenly going into the school holidays and suddenly thinking it's a oh, wow, exciting time. But it's only a wow and exciting time if I can do loads of Loads of interesting things and for that I need my health. So start, I I want a healthy life.
1: Yeah, I'm actually on exactly the same page as you. Yeah. Health span is the focus for me. I, I talk about living to one hundred and ten or, or eleven. It makes a, a good headline. 50 mm-hmm. years in the past, 50 years in the future, it's maybe something to aim for. But yes, absolutely. Health span yeah. is is the real focus. It's uh, it's the here and now. It's today. It's yeah. next month. It's, it's next year and ha- how we feel. And with that in mind, we touched last time we spoke a little bit on goals and what we can do to optimize yeah. our health. I thought it might be really good if we could just focus in a little bit more in terms of what your goals are right now because i know you're taking a close look yeah. at the latest literature and there's a couple of interesting papers we'll, we'll talk about in a moment but what are your goals right now as you're looking forward
0: so I, if i was looking at my goals for the next 15 years i'd like to be thinking well there's a whole range of different things but you know what sort of activities would i like to be would i get pleasure would i, would I enjoy doing one of the things is i my wife and i really enjoy and my daughter now as well also enjoys enjoy scuba diving and that's, uh, you know, that's a physical activity that
1: requires
0: um, it requires a level of health to be able to do that. Um, you don't see too many divers who are in their late 70s um, just because the diving and going to physical, going to those high pressures just does things to your body. So that's a, an issue. So I want to make sure that my body is healthy enough for that. I think other things I'd like to do, I quite like. Would like to go back to doing some proper hiking, the sorts of things that I used to enjoy doing fifty, you know, fifty years ago, forty years ago. So I've sort of set myself a series of goals, um, and part of that is getting my weight in order. And part of the weight issue relates tangentially, well, more than tangentially, to one of these papers really, because one of the issues of ageing is, you know, particularly if you get overweight, then as I have been at various points in my life, getting as you get older, then that impacts upon your body. Depending on where you store the fat, of course, I was storing the fat around my stomach. Then that impacts on sort of body inflammation. And as you get older, those body inflammation can be could be associated with all sorts of negative health impacts. So I had to lose the weight. So I have some health goals, and I am trying to lose weight without losing muscle, which is a challenge. Um, And I've had some success, reasonable amount of success. I probably lost maybe 20 pounds or so, depending on how you count them. Somewhere between 14 and 20 pounds, depending on when I started, my my regime has evolved and changed with time. Um, And so I've got some strength goals as well. At the moment, my strength is increasing slightly. But I think that's because I'm also doing the dieting, and it's the dieting that's more important at the moment. So I'm targeting BMI and my waist measurement as essentially measures of my abdominal fat content. That's what I'm working on at the moment. And it's it's getting there. So I'm I'm within striking distance of getting where I want to be.
1: That's good. We talked a little bit last week about uh, you, you were saying how throughout your life, your weight has gone up and down. So... I suppose that reflects some success and then for failure, success, failure, like yeah. traditional yo-yo uh, yeah. diet that people experience, and, it, and it's very, very common. So I'm curious what you think you know now that maybe is going to put an end to that and that you're on more of an even keel and that the kind of regime that you're following is going to be longer term a successful one rather than just continuing that Kind of yo-yo relationship with your your weight and and different dietary regimes.
0: Oh, I think what would I consider? Well, well I think that the most important thing, personally, I think the most important thing for me to um, tackle my weight is to get my head in a position where I can commit to it. And I think it's getting all of those things together. it's trying to get my so I, I can commit to it. I need a goal, and I think in the past. And, you know, I'll tell you this and see if this resonates with you. I think I can get, I have to form a habit. I've got to get into a practice, into a mode that this is the way I'm going to be. And so I don't see it as a camp. Well, it is a campaign. I talk about it as weight loss campaigns, but it's a, it's a, it's a way of life, which I'm trying to adopt. I guess that's where it has to be. It has to be a way of life rather than, rather than something that I just do for a period And I'm comfortable with that now, but I can tell you that uh, what might happen. um, Let's say I twist my ankle. Let's say I get a bad case of flu and I'm off for two weeks. And then there is that challenge of when I'm waking up in the morning is, do I really want to go to the gym or do I want to turn over and then go and have some breakfast and just I'll put it off for tomorrow? Bro, what could be wrong with that? Uh, That's so easy. and So I I don't think – I think I have to be aware that that temptation of that, you know, just put it off for tomorrow after a two-week, three-week break or whatever, that's just so difficult, and I've just got to guard against that. I I don't think I'll ever be free of that, you know, the temptation to – Change like that. I mean, do, you, do you? Does that
1: resonate with you? It resonates totally with me. I have exactly the same weaknesses, if you want to call them weaknesses, in terms yeah. of, of yeah. motivation. And I think a big part of this is acknowledging that in ourselves. I think there's a, a great temptation by some people. Embarking on a new exercise regime, that uh, they're going to be faultless, and this is going to be the one, and that that they yeah. can't fail. And I think acknowledging, and I think this comes with age, the, the ability yeah. to do that, to acknowledge that you have flaws and weaknesses, and perhaps you're easily distracted, or perhaps you can easily use other things happening in your life as an excuse. And I'm absolutely like that. I, I think I'm like you in that I'm, I'm quite determined ab- about things, and equally, I'm on well, a permanent exercise regime which constantly changes because I read things that change my mind about things. And I'm pursuing that quite rigorously. But there are always going to be occasions when, just like you, I don't feel like it. And my secret weapon there, and I know this doesn't work for everyone, is the fact that I've got two dogs. And A... I like animals, I love animals, I love dogs. I do a lot with my dogs, I'm doing a, an agility trial with them this coming weekend, which will span the entire weekend. They absolutely love it, and uh, it, it's a lot of fun for me. But on a daily basis, and these are two border collies, they're, they're sheep dogs, they're hugely active dogs. Every morning, without fail, no matter how I'm feeling, no matter what the weather's like, I love the rain, we've got to go out. And uh, before speaking to you today, that's exactly what I did, 7am for a full hour, pretty steep hike, three and a half miles back home, quick breakfast, now I'm talking to you. And that's a daily routine that I acknowledge I wouldn't do every day if it weren't for the little four eyes looking at of me as I get out of bed at, at six o'clock in the morning. So that's a that's a tool that I use. And I, again, not everyone wants to have a couple of dogs in their lives, but um, maybe there is a way for 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 all of us to to focus in on what does help us, yeah. what does help motivate us.
0: I mean, I think, and I think I I, I talk about tricks and about you know I've had this conversation with you before. So the diving is part of that trick. And so I, you know, there's quite a few divers who are sort of starting to give up in their sixties because of their blood pressure, because of their various health, health problems. And so I don't have any of those health problems yet, but I, so in my head, this is something I really enjoy. I mean, for, for some, I came to, I came to scuba diving quite late in life. So I feel as though I've got lots to catch up on. I'm not one of these people who's been diving for 40 years. I haven't been, you know, I've been scuba diving for 10 years. So I feel as though. So part of that trick for me is I've got to think I love it. If I want to be loving this in five years time or 10 years time for sure, then I have to watch my fitness now because now is the time where it could be just dropping off because it happens to so many people. So that's where I've got. So that's a, that's one of my tricks I keep thinking. and To be honest, and I do find it sometimes if I – it so helps. Like you, I get up early. So I – I'm usually walking to the gym. I, so I walk to the gym. I've got a two-and-a-half-mile walk there, two-and-a-half-mile walk back. It's along the flat, mind you. There's no uh, not much of a climbing involved. But I do that, and I'm usually walking there any time between quarter past five in the morning. Retired. As everyone says, oh, you're retiring, you would be lying in bed. And, oh, no, I'm not. <laughs> <laughs> I'm getting up early. Either quarter past five or some, maybe it's quarter past seven. Sometime then I, I set off just so I can get it done out of the way. But, uh, yeah, it's all tricks that we have to use to... Try and keep ourselves going.
1: Yeah, I think maybe... In a future conversation, we could just talk about, a lot of people do this, I actually find it quite motivating, just talk about our daily routines, morning routines, not only exercise, but obviously exercise can't be seen in isolation in terms of our daily activities. So what else we do, and maybe some of those other motivational things. So you you mentioned diving. You've been diving not all of your life, but a significant part of your adult life. And, And that is an entirely, it's something I haven't done, but that's an entirely... New world well, it would be a new world to me that that you 're privy to, and that is what is in the ocean, what is in is in the sea, which is fascinating and it it does relate to our first uh, paper that we're going to discuss today and this study which is uh, a national institutes of of health study it was published in cell reports and essentially it is uh, looking at what we can learn about the regrowth of uh, an entirely healthy body from some of the creatures that uh, exist in the sea this is your world you've had a look at the paper what do you think
0: I think it, well, it's fascinating, isn't it? I mean, it's fascinating on all sorts of levels. I, I think um, one of the things so they're talking about this is these are very simple organisms. These are organisms that are, so of Nidarians, which are organisms which are close to the, uh, you know, the bottom of the tree of the bottom of the tree of life. They're not complex organisms like us, and yet there is tremendous plasticity, cellular plasticity. And they're able to uh, the the so one of the example the experiments that they did is they cut the mouth off the top of the organism and it was able to grow a new body from the mouth which is which is like this tremendous thing and and I guess you know we all know about these stories about so you know animals which can which can which can grow new appendages and things so these are it's a tremendous level of plasticity but with more complicated organisms, you know, complicated organisms have very complicated variety of cells and that complicated variety of cells needs to be kept in order. So this is a level of plasticity which simple organisms can have, but complex organisms guard against because if you're a complex organism with very, very complex cells, your cells have all got to be kept in order, and it's almost like this is a level of disorder that primitive organisms can have, but really complicated organisms can't have. Which is, and it's this level of uh, this uh, this plasticity, which is allowing them to uh, uh, to avoid aging, and uh, which is amazing.
1: And I think what's interesting is that they've noticed a connection between senescence which you could simply describe as the aging process in terms of how our cells age they've noticed a connection between that and the healing process so you'd think senescence is going off in one direction healing is is quite opposite and it's a more positive growth scenario but the, the the two actually could be linked
0: yeah i mean I did find that faci- I I did find that fascinating and it's related to a gene so they've got so they looked at the ge- genetic code for this animal and then they compared that with human genes and they found three genes that were quite similar and what they're able to do is if they switch off one of the one of these three genes in this critter then it isn't able to do this magic thing so it isn't able to do it it isn't able to uh you know it, it isn't able to regrow or reheal itself Um, So these are genes that are very similar to our genes. But again, this boils down to the fact that we are very, very complicated animals. This is a very, very simple animal, and we need to have our cells more under control. This is one of the points that's made in the paper, that maybe this is something that really, very simple organisms can do, but really, really complicated organisms can't do.
1: Yeah, and I guess it's worth taking note of because i think what is commonly accepted is that the the processes within our bodies or indeed a wide range of organisms in terms of aging there are striking similarities from from the very simplest of of organisms to to complex bodies like ourselves uh, as human beings And, and and that's why it's interesting
0: yeah, I mean, so this this idea of the senescence. So when it, these these old these cells, as they become old, as they senesce, they um, they are they don't die. So these um, so these the, the hydroctinia, the the these Nidarian creatures, they were these animals are able to expel the 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 senescent cells. They can actually just get rid of the senescent cells, and that they're able to repurpose their cells or stem cells, and then re, just regenerate the the, the the cell types that they got rid of um and that process of senescence in us is what generates all of the inflammation factors that causes all of the illnesses um that we get with old age and you know like the the um the inflammation factors coming back to the earlier comment that we made about um carrying a lot of weight around your middle that's one of the things that causes um the this inflammation factor so yeah, it really is. It is fascinating, but it was. Uh, I, I looking back, I was kind of drawn to this sort of like this line between the difference between complex organisms and uh, you know and simple organisms. I mean, I, I mentioned briefly in an email, there was a paper I published a while back um, about lobster longevity. I mean, did you? Was that
1: yeah.
0: Right. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. The, the interesting deal with lobsters is that as they reproduce and get bigger and bigger and bigger. They don't seem to suffer any sort of problems associated with old age, except that the bigger they are, the longer the period that they have to go between shedding their outer skeletons, because they have got an, they're an, an exoskeleton skeleton on the outside. They shed that skeleton. And when they get to be really, really, really big and old, they carry those skeletons for a long time. And it's just critters that land on them and bore holes through them and live there. They're not parasitic necessarily. They're just living there. But eventually some of them start puncturing the outer skeleton and the microbes get in. So it's not actually, they, they do die. You could say they die of old age because their shells have been worn through. But the soft tissues in the inside are all nice and young. But the high irony is they've just got this shell that, uh, that bumps them off because it starts to fail. So there's this little, little control factor that says, uh, That's it. But that's going to get you, though. The shell's going to get you. So something
1: gets you. Peter, I'm just curious. The the world, the underwater world that you know and that you're privileged to be able to see and, and understand. Yeah. In terms of your general observations about what you see, living organisms in the ocean, in the sea, relating that to the rest of your life and everyday life for most of us, what could we... What have you learned about the relationship between different organisms, the way that uh, often a symbiotic relationship between organisms that uh, perhaps could benefit us with a a different kind of insight as we go through our regular lives?
0: Well, I saw one of the observations I would make is about fear, I think. And I think if I look at the way, so if you, if I go and have a walk in the woods and I see birds and rabbits or any other other animals, they keep well away from me because they've had hundreds and thousands of years to learn that people who look like us are going to try and throw rocks at them or stick pointy things at them or shoot them. So for good reasons, they've learned to be frightened and that's fine. You understand that, but, in the sea the animals that we have hunted in the sea have never associated the hunting with us they associate that they, they they may respond i don't even know if they respond to hooks i don't think they do but they don't see us as being the source of threat so fish can swim really close to human beings and you can get really close so there's a thing about there's a lesson about learn fear and the response of fish to humans, about whether or not they're going to be a threat it is largely based on our size. So if they see, I, I think a fish is sort of like looks at it looks at a diver and thinks, "Arm, um, uh, you know, is the fish of the right size to be preyed upon by this diver?" And so you often see small fish are really quite comfortable getting very close to divers because the small fish will sit there and think, "Ah, oh, he's never going to eat me," but the things he might eat are the things that eat me, so I'm going to swim close to him. So there's a thing about how things perceive fear, about how fear and threat. And I think the other thing is, is, uh, I mean, I guess you, I mean you're the same age, you know, you're nearer of the same age as me. Did you? How? Did, do you remember seeing Jaws? Oh yes. And, did, and did that give you a sense of fear about the sharks and the sea and stuff like that?
1: Uh. I don't know. I I think Jaws as a film was you know farcical in some senses. Yeah. I I don't know whether for me watching it it was that relatable to the real world. I mean clearly it was it was a dramatic film in the way that the storyline progressed, but I don't know whether that changed my perception of uh, of what is. I mean clearly I, uh, everyone's uh, afraid of everyone's afraid of shark. I do have one just before you come in. I do have one story. It's not really a shark story. I used to do triathlons, and Mm -hmm. I was training one Sunday morning with a couple of friends in the ocean, the Pacific Ocean, just off Malibu here in California. And it was pretty quiet. The beach was empty. It was very early in the morning. And we were swimming away, not too far away from the shoreline. And all of a sudden, I noticed this huge fin, probably about two meters away from me. Now, I'm colorblind. So to me, it looked like a, a gray... Fairness, fairly dark, grey fin. I clearly couldn't see what was uh, underneath the fin, but the first thought that comes to mind is, and we do have sharks off California, the first yeah. thought was, that's a shark. And so got the attention of the other two guys who noticed it, and then we, we headed off back very quickly back to The shore, kind of hyperventilating as we swam, and uh, we didn't see it anymore. But by that time, the lifeguard had arrived on the beach, and we we mentioned it to him. And he kind of laughed, and he said, "Well, yes, it was probably a dolphin, because we have dolphins here as as well." But my the point of this, my initial instinct was that's a shark, and that's going to be terrifying.
0: I remember. Shortly after watching Jaws, like within a year or 18 months of watching Jaws, I was on holiday with my parents swimming in the northwest of Scotland off the Mull of Kintyre in cold water. But, you know, 12, 13 or something like that. So I swam out probably about 500 metres or something off the shore. So quite a way off. Um, And we were getting up to a a bit of kelp and we were going to swim through the kelp. And something banged my leg. It was probably a piece of kelp. Um, but I said to the person I was swimming with, we're just treading water, and I asked him what it was, and he, his response was, da-dum. <laughs> and I, we both bolted. We swam back full pelt until we got to the shore, and then we sat back laughing at what you know what what silly things we were. But basically, it was that so all he had to do was that da-dum. and that just got the heart beating right, and then it's just panic sets in, and yet. So I think I spent quite a while being sort of frightened of sharks. And then I've been in the water with sharks, you know, several dive trips. And really, they're just such fascinating creatures. And that, you know, I've seen some really big sharks. I've been diving. I've seen tiger sharks. And I've seen oceanic white tips. And they're really just a little bit curious, they swim around you once or twice maybe as a diver they do I I think if I was on the surface splashing splashing around I might think differently but just I think they are just fascinating creatures they just seem to be mildly interested and then they just go away yeah right. and, and so I've learned I think I've learned a lot about fears and phobias as well
1: so, talking of being in nature and being close to nature, let's talk about this second paper, which is a study about the effect on us biologically living close to green spaces. And this is a long-running study. It's published in the journal Science Advances. And they essentially concluded that living near to green spaces could add two, two and a half years to our Lives, uh, And this is based on biological changes to a, a group of p- people that were studied over a long yeah. period of, of time. Now, my initial response and initial logic is, well, yes, it's great, isn't it? Just for your, your mind and soul living near green spaces, that you're, you're generally calmer, maybe your blood pressure's a little bit lower. But this goes a lot more deeply than that, and it's all about epigenetics and how our, inv- our environment can actually impact our gene expression in terms of uh, the genes that we are born with but as we all know the environment has a a quite a key impact on how those genes are expressed during our lifetimes and and that impacts our health
0: yeah so that i mean so it's a 20-year study which is you know i mean these long-term studies are just so valuable um and what they're doing is they're looking at these epigenetic markers so they're looking at markers of aging um, um which is, you know, fascinating. You know, it's a it's a it's a fascinating tool in its own right. I mean, one of the interesting things is looking at it's about long term exposure to green spaces has the benefits, um, and so they, they talk about the reasons why that might be the case, and it just could be for the fact that if you've got the access to the green space, then it becomes a place where you can, you might have enhanced social interactions. And so it's, it may not necessarily be something magical about the fact it's a green space, but it's the fact that it encourages all sorts of positive interactions with other human beings associated with that green sp- uh, that are there. You know, if you've got a park, then you go for a walk in the park, you, have, you, know, you, you meet other people or you sit there and you go and have a relax. So it encourages you to deal with other things. And yeah, we do both know, don't we? I mean, I'm sure we both agree that there is there's just something about being out in you know, in open spaces, being in woodland or being in places where you can hear the grass moving or being by I, I would even say being by the beach and listening to the listening to the surf. It just does bring that level of peace and relaxation. Um so yeah, so I mean the paper's done that and then the paper also touches on the issues of social deprivation and how if you uh, how not everybody has equal access to yeah. green spaces. Um, and that leads to different you know different levels of aging essentially associated based upon social deprivation. And I mean they, I mean this, this is a Sort of like an echo of some of the discussions that were had around about the time, certainly in in the UK, and I'm sure in the I'm sure in the US as well, around when we had the COVID pandemic, because there were certain, you know, there were certain ethnic groups who were more, you know, more susceptible to negative outcomes. Um, yeah, so that's a sort of like a, a that's a sort of like a, a sobering thought, isn't it?
1: Yeah, and I think the interesting thing about this kind of researchers and and always at the back of my mind is when i hear or read headlines that uh, a certain activity can add a certain number of years to your life i think well hang on a minute there are other things that we do in our lives that are going to affect and it's very simplistic to say that it's going to add a certain number of years because it you know what what if you live next to a green field but you have a really bad diet and you you don't exercise in that green space so lots of complicated factors but that said I think there's there's a lot in in what your analysis and your interpretation in in terms of and it, it is fairly obvious to me maybe purely from a a blood pressure perspective that if you're relaxing in a a beautiful woodland environment or you're on the beach and you're listening to nature that does have a very calming effect and if you can lower your blood pressure well that's probably going to be good for your longer term health but i think just delving into the detail of this study there's probably a little bit more to it than that and knowing that and every study that i read has the final line more research is needed and clearly more research is needed on this but what is a, a challenge to me is how we can use this kind of information t- to benefit ourselves. And, and especially, f- I would say, for those people, those socio-economic groups that are not lucky enough to live next to green spaces or parks in a, in a city community. What can be done with this kind of knowledge to make life better? Does it mean having more plants in your tiny little bit of yard that you might have at home just to try to create a a green space. Could that potentially be beneficial? I know people that don't have gardens that have huge sort of gardening interest and they've got a, a green wall and gain a lot from that.
0: Yeah, I think, I mean, so, they, I mean, the, the paper does talk about how they define green spaces. And so for me, I mean, I'm sitting just opposite a, a very large park. And so that's my definition of a green space. But that's not the paper's definition of a green space. So they talk about much smaller green spaces as well. So they talk and they talk about community projects. And I suppose, I mean, they just hint as to what is the cause of this in the paper, um, and so they they don't take that much of anything. They don't go beyond that hint. And they say it's probably down to, possibly down to enhanced human interactions. Fundamentally, I suppose one of the, the maybe I'm, I'm, I'm just putting my interpretation on this, is it's really talking about some sort of mindfulness and that the the green spaces are leading to a development of some form of enhanced minding, mindfulness, whether you're experiencing them with others, if you're having a community garden, as you say, if you're having a community garden project, you're just talking with, and if, particularly if you've got older people who are spending time just talking with other human beings and focused on projects, you know, growing projects, growing plants, that is developing mindfulness strategies, isn't it, really? And the extent to which those start Having positive health health uh, outcomes.
1: Yeah, I think I think that's very important. I think the word mindfulness gets a, a bad rap Ooh. in some quarters, but I think yeah. it is hugely important. It's it, it's a very descriptive word. I think we all understand what it means, but equally, I think some people are are still sceptical. They think it's a little woohoo to to, to yeah. focus on mindfulness, but. From my experience, I, I think it's incredibly oh. valuable to, to focus on that kind that aspect of our lives.
0: Yeah, well, I, I think I mean I, I okay, I mean I I'm, I have a blood pressure monitor. I check my blood pressure periodically. I mean I'm a scientist and I get to see numbers. You know, it, what's not to like about that, right? So, mm-hmm. but you know, I, I, and I can. I did an experiment the other day, and I started to um, I, I started a train of thought. Um, And I elevated my blood pressure with a train of thought. I started running through a conflict in my mind and dwelling on a past conflict. And as I dwelled on that past conflict, my blood pressure started going up. And I think for me, the mindfulness about that is to think that those sorts of behaviours can have a negative health outcome. So I should be practising not doing that. And so that's part of my definition of mindfulness, I guess, is to think about things which can be not even remotely helpful. And so here's the question. How many older people do you know who you suspect have fallen into that trap of reliving? I mean, I, I, I know people, older people, who've fallen into that trap of dwelling on past conflicts and becoming very bitter. And that's, I suspect, it's a, it's a very negative, you know, it's a negative route to go. It's a that's an that's not a good place to go. And I think it's worthwhile avoiding that.
1: Yeah, and equally, I know older people who who might have moved into some kind of uh, sheltered accommodation that they are being cared for for the first time in their lives that that they don't have to worry about cooking every meal. They don't have to worry about paying the bills because they're in a system that makes that possible. And that group of people actually express that their worries have disappeared, that they are, yeah. they are feeling more positive about life because they don't have those stresses of, of, of working life, of, of family life to some extent, to, to worry about anymore.
0: Yeah, uh, I think it's... Uh, there is And equally, I know older people who've gone through tremendous you know tremendously stressful points in their life i have got a few minutes I'll, i mean i, I there's just some tremendously uplifting people that i've learned from and i was a, there was a lady i was talking to and she was a very uh, a very open loving forgiving um, woman always looking for the positive in things so i was just having a chat to her about something that was on television there was a there was a tv program on about Crystal um, And I mentioned it to this lady and she said, oh, yes, she said, that was terrible. I remember that my parents were rushing me through the streets to avoid the crowds. And I said, oh, you were there then? And she said, yes, I was. We had to hide for four years during World War Two. I was sat there and thought, oh. You know, and she was a. She just mentioned it in passing. She had no bitterness in her. She was forgiving everyone. She was moving on with her life and seeing joy in everything. And I thought I was such a, a beacon of inspiration in that way, I thought.
1: I agree. It's a nice story. The two studies that we've talked about today, if you are interested in following up, reading a little bit more deeply, I'll put a link to them in the show notes for this episode. Peter, we'll catch up very soon.
0: Okay. Thank you.